Welcome back to Coffee and Cannabis. It's the show where I interview professionals, researchers, and thought leaders in the cannabis space to help bring you deeper insight into who these individuals are and how they're shaping the cannabis industry. In this episode, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Dr. Blake Pearson. Dr. Pearson is a board-certified physician, recognized expert in cannabinoid medicine, and founder of both Greenlee Health and Pearson Health Clinics. In the episode, we talk about the current state of medical cannabis in Canada and the importance of a holistic approach versus self-medicating. We also talk about the complex issue of cannabis coverage and why patients that need it most are being left out to dry. And we also talk about the larger issue of the current Western prescription model and how medical cannabis patients are being moved away from polypharmacy and traditional prescriptions. Um, But to make a formal introduction, um, Dr. Blake Pearson, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. (laughs) Do you prefer, I've always wondered, do you prefer to be called doctor or just md i know some people especially like some profs say you know you have to call me dr pearson some people say just call me john like do you have a preference i've, I've always wondered yeah. uh for me personally um i i don't really have a preference uh-huh. uh you know blake is just fine <laughs> uh i answer to dr pearson certainly a lot of my patients will call me dr sure. pearson and that's, a that's a-okay yeah yeah but uh i'm i'm pretty easy going with that <laughs> yeah good good or even like there's i i've had some some mds say you know if you're a chiropractor or an np you can't call yourself a doctor like that's specifically yeah. mds how, how do you feel about that <laughs> that's more ego based uh, and uh i've been kind of working against that mm. over the years because mm-hmm. of it's it really just doesn't do anybody any good yeah so yeah you know if a, if a Cairo is is a doctor and mm-hmm. they you know they spent their four years yeah. that's fine with me certainly PhD right and um, yeah to me I, I don't really hey no, who, you, you didn't go to, to medical yeah. school <laughs> you can't be a doctor right, right, uh, right. no as long as, to me as long as you know mm-hmm. you have your training and you're right. helping people that yeah. to me is is more of a broader definition of a doctor yeah yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree I think that's the way to look at it and like you said it might be may, maybe an ego thing but I don't want to <laughs> you know, I don't want to <laughs> wrestle any feathers but um, for you I was pleased to see that we both share a common background we both started in kinesiology and and our undergrads uh, I, I'm super curious you know kind of um you know, what led you from kinesiology to med school? Were you always interested in, you know, alternative health and wellness? Mm-hmm. Well, it's a, good, it's a good question. And yeah, like being in kin, I always knew I was going into healthcare in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I always knew from a young age and I didn't know whether it would be Cairo, whether it'd be mm-hmm. medicine. I had a lot of positive influences. Um, shadowing a family doctor, working mm. with chiros, working mm. with PT. So I knew for sure I was going into healthcare, um, but was open-minded. Mm-hmm. And then um, as it turned out, I just, uh, especially with the kin background, like mm. getting to do anatomy class that further, mm. like cadaver class that mm-hmm. further said, yes, you're going into something mm-hmm. uh, healthcare related. And then I chose medicine because it gave me um, a lot of options. I loved the idea of going mm. into medical school and then learning even more about the mm. different fields. So it felt like just the next progression mm. of, of the study. And I went into family medicine because I, I did like the idea of kind of being the mm. quarterback and mm. and really putting people in the right places. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, transition to, to mm. cannabinoid medicine where 
I began to really enjoy the art, the mm -hmm. practice, and really um, just seeing seeing the positive results every day. So mm -hmm. it's been probably the, the best move of my life was to kind of follow that path, but then right. specifically into cannabinoid hmm. medicine has been awesome. Yeah, I mean, if you ask me, I think that you, you made the right choice. And, you know, I'm curious from a timeline perspective, how long was it for from you being a practicing family doctor until you, you getting involved in cannabis and, and, and why? So it was um, about, I would say, two years of, of family practice where I was doing that solely. And mm -hmm. um, then I started to practice a little bit of cannabinoid medicine with my own patients. Mm -hmm. So in Sarnia, we have a lot of the older population. Mm -hmm. So uh, certain patients weren't responding to things like Lyrica or Gabapentin for mm -hmm. chronic pain. So I had um, a friend of mine, Dr. Mike Hart, mm -hmm. is, is a big uh, cannabinoid specialist as mm -hmm. well. So I had been talking to him and, and learning and going to conferences. Mm -hmm. So started with a few of my own patients and uh, naturally saw some of the benefits. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that was really just dipping the toes in at that year two, three mark. Mm -hmm. But then I started to basically kind of travel the, wor the world, going to different conferences mm -hmm. and really educating myself then letting it known the nice thing about the the sarnia area mm -hmm. all, all the docs are pretty collegial awesome so yeah so it's it's really cool because they all knew hey blake's learning about this mm -hmm. and why don't we start sending our patients to him isn't that nice that's mm -hmm. that's the best case scenario not oh yeah. oh that's dr blake that's the weed doctor yeah yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah and there may, may be even a bit of that to of start course, right you know yeah. okay we'll just send them there um, but once they got to, mm -hmm. to see the results with their own mm -hmm. patients, right. And they knew I was putting mm -hmm. in the work, mm -hmm. the referrals really started to come in mm -hmm. and that's when, so if you're picturing timeline, mm -hmm. now we're maybe in oh year four of family medicine, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm working two and a half days, family med, mm -hmm. two and a half days, cannabinoid Interesting. med. Okay. Yeah. And then, um, really the switch became mm -hmm. i really enjoyed the practice mm -hmm. i felt like almost like i found my purpose mm -hmm. and um and just just the results daily mm -hmm. um i'm not in it for the pats on the back but right. it is you know it is it's certainly rewarding. nice yeah it is yeah. It, you know i'd be lying if i said i don't enjoy some of those great sure. stories and um we need our family doctors mm -hmm. god love them they do great work mm -hmm. for me personally i was just i felt like I I was meant to do this and I was seeing the rewards. Mm. So then I, I dove in head first and now it's now it's all I do. That's that's amazing. And when we're talking timeline, year one, year two, when about was this? Was it before rec legalization and, and that would have been October twenty eighteen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was it was probably when I decided to go fully uh, cannabinoid based medicine, mm -hmm. it was mm -hmm. about a year before full mm. legalization. Okay. Interesting. And yeah, and so a couple things, back to the kind of the collegial aspect of, uh -huh. of our community. So not only did the docs know what was going on in the outpatient setting, but a lot of um, a lot of the family docs work at long-term care homes. Mm. So again, that natural progression, they saw the results mm. of their older patients. So then I started to get referrals from mm. the same docs for nursing homes, because as you can imagine, 
pain, mm-hmm. sleep disorders, dementia. Mm-hmm. That's that's another area where cannabinoids make a lot of sense. So that natural progression went to to long term care. Hmm. And were you going to long term care homes, or were they coming to you in your in your clinic? I was rounding in the long term care homes. Um, yeah, because a excellent. lot of them, they, you know, mobility is an issue. Yeah, certainly yeah. cognition in the dementia mm-hmm. patients. So mm-hmm. I would go there, and um, I really enjoyed going to the different homes. Mm-hmm. And around the area, there's a number, so there's a lot of a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right, right. But now with the pandemic, you know, someone like myself who's going from home to home mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is a risk. A COVID risk. So now mm-hmm. I see all those patients virtually. Mm-hmm. And how, I mean, from a logistical perspective, um, do they use, so how much collaboration do you get with the nursing home? Do they do they help you along with the, the dosing and the scheduling? Are they usually supportive and like they help the patients get their appointments? Yeah. So th- the nice thing is this took time to build as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Initially, it's, it was kind of like, what, what's going on here? You know, a lot of personal views around cannabis bias. So mm-hmm. some staff members mm-hmm. would be more helpful than others. Yeah. <laughs> but um, luckily, locally, there's a, a group of homes, Steve's and Rosima. They have, mm-hmm. um, there's actually one in, in your area at Heron Terrace. Um, yeah. Uh, but they, they really kind of, that's where we kind of started. So I had the support from people like Kim Van Dam, Kelly Batson, mm-hmm, John mm-hmm. Scotland, who really mm. were behind it. So now mm-hmm. it, it's kind of like a well-oiled machine where I, I awesome. round, we have our rounding schedule. Mm-hmm. I'll do the the formulation, like pick, mm-hmm. you know, what are, mm-hmm. are we using a CBD dominant, a balance, right, some right. type of mix in between mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. dosing schedule. Um, mm-hmm. So here's our start. Let's go mm-hmm. up every three days based on these markers. Mm. So, um, and the nurses there help them with that schedule and help them with the dosing. Yep, absolutely. So it's just good. It's regular medicine for these Mm -hmm. homes. Mm. Certainly not the vast majority of long-term care homes aren't at this level yet, Mm -hmm. but at the ones that I work with, um, it's, it's regular medicine. Like I put the orders Mm. in the chart, um, Mm. chart in the electronic health record. And then the nurses Mm -hmm. will, um, give the medication and store it. Good. Um, so the only kind of wrinkle is because mm-hmm. of the, uh, the the medical cannabis process, the family mm-hmm. actually has to order mm-hmm. and it ships right. to the home mm-hmm. and then it can be dispensed. And that's so frustrating. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I've had a lot of trouble. So the, the reason why I asked the year that you started is in, at NHS, I, I started in early 2018. So I got to see, you know, a good couple months of pre-legalization um, medical patients, right? And, and I saw a very drastic drop off after because I think a lot of them just went, well, you know what? I'm just gonna go walk into a dispensary. I'm just gonna order online. Right. It's a lot easier, right? So I found that there's, there's this real big disconnect in people wanting to go back to to their their healthcare practitioner because they don't want to go through the extra steps, right? They don't want to yeah. go, well, I've got to now talk to the doctor and yeah. then I've got to wait, you know, two weeks to get my medication. Someone else has got to, there's right. just a lot of obstacles. It's frustrating to me. It is. Yeah, I, I could see that. And certainly post-legalization, more of that. On, mm. on my side of things, just the way the, the practice has been built in the kind of, mm. I would say population and mm. diagnoses we see. I'm I'm lucky that uh, 
you know, it, it really, there was no drop off hmm. because there wasn't embedded, let's say adult use patients hmm. in there. Hmm. It's kind of the real deal. So we, good. yeah, it's nice because it's, yeah, it, it's just, we didn't, we didn't see that, uh, that drop off after legalization. In fact, hmm. we kind of saw the opposite where, you know, more, more mainstream, Hey, this mm. isn't as taboo. So mm -hmm. a lot of the seniors we're working with, um, they don't want to go to uh, the dispensary and, <laughs> right. you know, because picking out the formulation and, and of course mm. certain drugs, a lot of them are on multiple medications where you have to right. kind of screen for specific interactions. Mm -hmm. So it, it really led to just just the the value of having the the physician mm -hmm. kind of assist that process absolutely oh absolutely and even you know bud tenders have the hardest job in the world yeah. where a lot of people don't even know that you have medical practitioners and clinics like yourself where they can go to help with their their um whatever they're trying to treat because you can't even ask if you're a bud tender you can't say that this will make you sleepy right Right. Yeah. So, so that's the huge value that if you have a physician and an educator, they can actually say a lot more than sleepy. They can say this will help better for your inflammation. This is good. You know, this terpene would be better for, for this or that. So I think, you know, a lot of I wish a lot more people knew about the benefits of, of the medical side. Right. Um, now, for educators, do you have educators yourself, too? Yes. Yeah. So we um, we have a couple educators. And of course, I'm I'm very hands on, yeah, on the education as well. Mm -hmm. And are they like nurses, nursing background? Yes, yeah, hmm. RPN. Um, some actually are. One is is just been in the the space for so long. Mm -hmm. She's so knowledgeable that right. uh, you know we we have our certain protocols, but her knowledge of kind of the mm -hmm. industry is really valuable as an educator as well. Interesting. Yeah. That That's a really interesting point. I saw that a lot because we used to just call the educators bud tenders. And then mm -hmm. eventually we went, well, there are a lot more than that. Mm -hmm. Right. And a lot of them kind of stayed right even after. And I think the reason is, like you said, they were just so knowledgeable. They were hard to replace. Mm -hmm. um, and I find now you have a lot more nurses and a lot more healthcare practitioners getting involved and in learning about cannabis, right? So we can now sort of paint the the image for what a perfect educator should look like. So I mm -hmm. think the future outlook is fantastic. It is, it is. And we've even um, automated some of our education too, mm. because a lot of it's fairly similar mm -hmm, depending mm -hmm. on what we're doing. So we've when even- you're starting, yeah. Yeah, I've incorporated some, um, some animation rather than mm. just, you know, the written word, mm. right. Ni nice ways to kind of make it sink in and also mm -hmm. really kind of just maximize time efficiency as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Hey, you said you saw 25 patients in a day. That's no, that's no <laughs> joke. That's a good amount to do in a day. Yeah. We like, we like to stay busy and, uh, just with the, I think, I think well, back to kind of the bud tender thing too, like yeah. they do have a tough job and, mm especially when they're those restrictions. But I think mm -hmm. it's almost like an age. I don't know where the age line is mm -hmm. as far as like who would go see the physician versus who would just say, right. you know what? I, I, cause internet obviously is abundant of resources mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. people can educate themselves. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's around 40, this, this line, but I feel like for people our age or younger, well, you're younger than me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm not, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, uh, 
That full head of hair gives it away. Yeah. <laughs> Jealous. <laughs> oh, I'm trying to keep it. I'm trying to keep this for as long as I can. Believe me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> but I, I do think that, you know, it is, there's probably been age line mm. there where yeah. people would be more inclined to seek that medical route. Mm. Whereas others might say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to walk into the dispensary and take it into my own hands, which I yeah. also don't like because there's a lot of young people that can benefit. I mean, I, I think yeah. about the amount of just the rates of anxiety and depression in youth these days, right? Oh gosh. Um, yeah. Which could be, you know, elicited by, by changes in, in social structure, social media, especially. And a mm. lot of these young kids, again, are, are getting on benzodiazepines. They're getting on, I, I don't know how much they prescribe SSRIs for youth, but it's, it, it well, quite happens. A bit. Right. Yeah. Whereas, you know, they they may be self-medicating and they, they go to their local, um, you know, retail store. They just get high THC and they use that as a way to distract rather than, you know, I wish we had more of a mental health care approach with someone like yourself. Right. Yeah. So not just for pain and for physical ailments, but that someone that can do a cannabis assisted psychotherapy or something. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that is a great point, Alex, because I would say of our patient population, if we're talking the under 40 subset, let's say 20 to 40, mm -hmm. um, it, it is predominantly mental health. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about that, we are using higher C CBD formulations. Mm -hmm. um, and you're right, likely certain folks are using higher THC to kind of just maybe just kind of check right. out for a bit. Right, right, exactly. And the reality is when it comes to even cannabinoid therapy for anxiety or depression, mm -hmm. there's there's no silver bullet in the no. cannabinoid world for that. Mm -hmm. And that's why patients shouldn't self-medicate. There's no silver bullet in the form of an SSRI either. Mm -hmm. Where I'm going with that is if someone has is really using cannabis for mental mm -hmm. health, Mm -hmm. Well, what we do at our clinic is sure it, it can help. Maybe we think of it, you know, if we're saying a mm -hmm. uh, pie chart, maybe 30%, mm -hmm. but the vast majority of the, the picture is, yeah, what's going on with social media? What are you doing on your phone? What right. are you eating? What's your nutrition? Like how much are you sleeping? How much are, how you, much exercising? are you exercising? Yeah, <laughs> mm -hmm. exactly. That I tells the story. Right. And I wish we were taking more of a preventative approach and more of a, a hands-on holistic approach, right? Which is why, you know, I, I wish people, I wish practitioners like naturopaths were a lot more respected, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, they're all about preventative medicine and all of these things we just mentioned are going to help you. And like you said, paint a better picture than just a blanket treatment like a benzodiazepine, right? Yep. Yep. Or, or even a blanket treatment like cannabis, like obviously mm. you and uh -huh. I are without intent. Yeah. You and I yeah. are very pro of course, mm -hmm. but, but in the context, again, that mental health mm -hmm. patient mm -hmm. in the context mm -hmm. of other, other things as well. Mm. Right. No, I, I agree. So yeah, that, that's where I see the value here is that I, I think the cannabis industry as a whole is a lot bigger than just, you know, this is a consumer packaged good. This is, you know, something like alcohol. I think it's really more of a wellness tool, but yeah. a lot of people, a lot more people need to see it like that, right? People need to see it that way. And you know mm -hmm. where it's going on the industry side, the industry mm -hmm. needs to remember that because mm -hmm. everybody is just focused because they're public companies, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are focused on the bottom line. Right, so exactly. if rec is now more profitable than medical, mm -hmm. 
you like you wouldn't believe the the carnage there is now with mm-hmm. sales teams on the mm-hmm. medical side. Oh yeah, it's it's bananas. The budgets are being slashed, and I really just I worry about yeah. about that and and kind of the future for the the medical side. And the one thing that I the one thing that I think could turn the tides in you know this medical versus rec is if medical costs the same amount as rec or if rec is even cheaper, they're going to go there. Again, it's less obstacles. But if, if the medical cannabis were, were covered, I think you would see a lot more support. So like, where are we at with coverage in medical cannabis? And like, why, why are we at this, this standstill? So coverage is a huge passion of mine. Mm. Um, I like to call it my life's work <laughs> because I do feel we are in for a battle on, on mm. that topic. But I'll give you the lay of the land now and um, maybe where it could go. Yeah. Um, right now, there's some. So there's some positive mm-hmm. news. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the major players, your Sun Life, your Manual Life, will cover things like chemotherapy-induced nausea, vomiting, mm-hmm. anything related to maybe cancer pain or... Neuropathic pain. Yeah. The, the neuropathic pain is coming. Oh, okay. It's, it, it, not even, eh? Yeah. It, wow. some, it's like 50-50 when you get into chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Neuropathic pain, some coverage, mm-hmm. um, but the vast majority of the chronic pain patients aren't getting covered. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would say as far as other things, as far as coverage, mm-hmm. health spending accounts, you know, sure. some, some people have those and you can use that money. Mm-hmm. Um then because it's a medical expense, mm-hmm. this doesn't help a ton of people, but some people, <laughs> you can write it off. Yeah, yeah, right? it's, but, something. It's, it's something. It's something, it's not great. What frustrates me there when you talk about, you know, health spending account, it's okay, well, who has a health spending account? It's usually those yeah. who have great jobs, you know, this benefits, yes. It, yes. it really puts this this barrier to people, right? That, you know, only the, the well-off and wealthy can can access coverage, yeah. which again defeats yeah. the purpose, right? It it totally does, and that's why we launched the Cover Cannabis Project. Mm. Um, yeah, recently. tell me about that. Okay, so Cover Cannabis Project is something I'm very passionate about, and we launched that um, a few months ago now. Mm-hmm. And just like we're talking about, you see coverage for certain people with insurance. Mm-hmm. health spending account okay mm-hmm. you must have a good job to have right that. but but what about someone on disability or mm-hmm. um, what about you know these residents in the long-term care homes so there mm-hmm. is a just a ton of people who need the coverage mm-hmm. um, and I my head goes to um, the, the folks on opiates and again let's say they're right. on disability so they're mm-hmm. hydromorphones covered Mm-hmm. or their fentanyl or their mm-hmm. Percocet. So it's so cheap. Yes, it's covered. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They they want to reduce their opiates. Mm-hmm. Their doc wants them to reduce their morphine equivalents and they can't afford the cannabis. So they're not mm-hmm. gonna choose this other option when mm-hmm. they're forced between, okay, can I pay for this medication or can I pay for my groceries? Right, right, you know? that's the problem. That is the problem. So, so we're, then flip the switch to mm-hmm. so we want to get reduce the opiates obviously we know mm-hmm. the issues mm-hmm. the other thing that's not really talked about a lot is we need we, we really want to get away from antipsychotics and our dementia mm-hmm. patients because they come with a whole host of side effects um 
death being one, not not really a great one. Jeez. You may die. It's probably um, the worst one. Yep, yep, sounds bad. Um, <laughs> but so it is actually reported by the Ministry of Health. So this is a reportable thing. Um, patients on antipsychotics in long-term care homes, they're moving away from it. But again, mm-hmm. you want to move away from it. The mm-hmm. antipsychotics are covered. You want to move to a balanced oil or a CBD mm-hmm. dominant. Mm-hmm. The patient's family has to buy it out of pocket. Mm-hmm. Again, there's a lot of barriers right. to something that would be very beneficial. Hmm. Yeah. So, t- tell me about that, because I know there's some, you know, there's some debate that if you have a history of schizophrenia, you shouldn't use THC. So, like, where does this benefit and play into to those patients in the dementia patients? Yeah. 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 So because that's not a formal um, diagnosis of schizophrenia, hmm. it is, you know, a Alzheimer's dementia where they are more so like calling out um, agitated, Hmm. violent, aggressive, Hmm. Hmm. um, especially with care when they go to get Hmm. changed or Hmm. Hmm. um, bedtime routine, they'll Hmm. hit staff. So again, kind of what we do in the past was here's your antipsychotics and really snow them out. Sure, it takes care of the issue, but again, the side effects, it's really not a humane way of doing it. And what are these antipsychotics? What's the mechanism of action? Essentially, what, what does it do? So they work on dopamine receptors. Okay. But the, it's, not, it's more so the, like, the extra pyramidal side effects that mm-hmm. come from them. So you're accomplishing mm-hmm. one goal of the right. really snowing or slowing them down. Uh-huh. But it comes with certain side effects around movement, mm-hmm. jerky movements of side mm-hmm. effects, um, issues with, with the mouth, the tongue. Right, right. Um, it's again hmm. death <laughs> right it's it feels like such an archaic blanket treatment that we oh, shouldn't be using anymore it is it is and and it's reported by the minister or ministry of health in australia um where i teach a lot of physicians mm-hmm. same thing it is now to start uh, that class of medication the family has to give consent so there's a move away from it, just like there's a move away from it, but mm-hmm. no, nothing to backfill right. where we do have evidence on the dementia side. There's a, a study mm-hmm. out of Sunnybrook. There's a good Swiss study mm-hmm. showing you can improve these responsive behaviors. Mm-hmm. And certainly clinically, mm-hmm. I see it all the time. I'm fortunate mm-hmm. enough to work with hundreds of dementia patients wow. um, all across the province. So we talked about kind of the local nursing homes, but I see yeah. patients from Windsor to mm-hmm. Sudbury virtually right. for dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it is helpful and that mm-hmm. would be an area where cover it, right. cover it why, right there. Why wouldn't you? No, yeah. it makes sense. And are they benefiting from the, the reduced agitation or do you think there's also some neuroplasticity, you know, benefits mm-hmm. from the THC and, in, in, you know, making new connections? Do you think there's something there as well? It's a great, it's a great question. They're definitely benefiting, um, just, you know, kind of high level from the reduced agitation. They're more Mm -hmm. calm. Mm -hmm. They're certainly benefiting from the better sleep, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because that ties into everything, right? Yes. And what else ties into it? A lot of these dementia patients have pain issues. Mm -hmm. So you're managing the behaviors. You're also likely improving Mm -hmm. their sleep. You're also reducing Mm -hmm. their pain. So as you can imagine, the calling out, the Mm -hmm. acting out, Right. Would right, likely right. go down. Huh. Um, your question around kind of maybe some some brain modulating or mm. actually maybe kind of modulating the disease mm. is a good question. And I don't doubt 
that in the future mm-hmm. we will mm-hmm. we will see cannabinoids as commonplace for mm-hmm. prevention and treatment mm-hmm. because of the reduction in inflammation in the nervous system mm-hmm. right the um, cbd inhibits the migration of the microglial cells so you're reducing mm-hmm. inflammation in the nervous system but also um inhibiting glutamate excitotoxicity mm-hmm. which also kills neurons damages neurons mm-hmm. And THC inhibits that, so you're getting less excitotoxicity, hmm. um, leading to less neuronal death. So you could hypothesize, right? Like those two On things paper, sound yeah, yeah. like a pretty good combination. Interesting. And even, you know, as a general push towards alternative medicine and health and wellness, even, I don't know if you're familiar with Lion's Mane, the supplement but there were there were some studies coming out that there were very very significant benefits um, for for patients with dementia and with with Alzheimer's from just this this mushroom sup, this mushroom complex like yeah yes and I that's mean promising it's promising and I'm real excited about that whole field whether it's lion's mane chaga psilocybin mm-hmm. um, that's that is kind of the natural progression of, of mm-hmm. where things are going kind of cannabis I, I would so. say kind of open open the door yes. for this mm-hmm. and I think that that side of things might even have an easier path mm-hmm. because they are focusing on like with cannabis we're talking mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. pain sleep right dementia agitation mm-hmm. mental health mm-hmm. whereas it seems like the kind of the mushroom side of things mm-hmm. is really f- going down a narrow path which mm might prove a little more beneficial because they're not trying to be all to everything. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Really That's interesting. That, yeah. The refractory depression, that kind uh-huh. of thing uh-huh. um, is interesting. Huh. And here, here's my trouble is like, like I said, we're talking about this. It makes sense that these can be alternative medications to prescriptions, which like we said, but I think we're so embedded in this Western healthcare model in this prescription model that I wonder like, how long will it be until we move towards there? Or even, you know, how do we get a drug identification number for something natural like cannabis so that it can be covered? Like, I feel like we're, we're almost, I don't know. I don't want to say I feel pessimistic, but it's just, it's frustrating. There's, there's so much ahead of us, right? There is. And, uh, the system is, it needs to change. Mm -hmm. I don't think cannabis needs a a DIN number to be covered. Like Mm. who said, who's, who created that idea? You know, like (laughs) I think it's just, that's what we're used to. Mm -hmm. And, um, but in the case of cannabis specifically, low doses of CBD and THC, mm-hmm. very safe. This whole DIN idea doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. It should be more about, mm. you know, here are some studies, right? Right, right, right. right. Look at this real world evidence uh-huh. and let's make some logical decisions and not just mm-hmm. keep our head in the sand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for safety, I mean, like we said, I think the senior population is really, they are the perfect candidates because, you know, you could argue that for youth, um, the brain doesn't finish developing until they're even, we're saying late twenties to early thirties now. Mm. And then any, any sort of psychoactive substance can affect that. But for older populations, or if you think of, you know, end of life, um, cancer patients, like this is kind of the, the perfect tool, right? Because they, you have that reduction in, endocannabinoid tone over time like they it just seems like the perfect patient population right 
Yes, it is. And it's outrageous. I just had this happen last week where patient was, is terminal and mm-hmm. cannabis is the only thing mm-hmm. that is helping from a sleep, from a pain mm-hmm. point of view. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she was in tears because she can't afford it. Right. So end of life, like, come on, what are we doing? Um, and so that's where I would start. Like, mm-hmm. I think the argument on the, the side from the din, mm-hmm. um, which again, I don't, I don't think that's a necessary, <laughs> it's garbage, yeah. yeah. Um, I think the big concern from the powers that be would be, well, if we, if we cover this, then everyone's going to stop going to the dispensaries mm. and they're going to be seeing their doctor. But there's obviously a framework that could be started where, all right, let's, let's say at least let's start mm-hmm. with, uh, palliative patients, mm-hmm. patients in long-term care mm-hmm. and, you know, other vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm. Those that yeah. need it most. Yeah. Boom. Start there, have a special access scheme, doc mm-hmm. signs off on it. It's not going to be this influx of people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could put a THC cap to keep people who sure. really, you know, there's ways to do it. It's just, um, it's just getting started. And that's why, uh, we did cover cannabis and we're having meetings, uh, had a meeting with a local MP last week going to meet with the MPP next week and just start putting it just so much in front of them that it mm-hmm. becomes kind of undeniable. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's why we're, we're sharing a ton of content, patient stories, literally just trying to humanize it as much as we can. Mm-hmm. So they have to see it. Right. And how do you, how do you educate people that don't want to be educated to like, how do you present this in a, in a way that is digestible and easy for them to understand? Cause a lot of people, like you said, the stigma is still there. They're just going to go, no, this is just, uh, this is just cannabis. You know, how yeah. do you, how do you get through to those people? Some you can't, that's what I've right. learned. Right. Um, so that's the truth with some, mm-hmm. which is outrageous. If you think, <laughs> Medicine is an evolving science, right? Things change all the time and it's our duty to kind of keep up with things. So to, to just have this view from the sixties and seventies, <laughs> some of these folks need to retire if, if that, if that's yeah. their mindset. Yeah. Um, but then you get the mix of, uh, maybe open-minded, still mm-hmm. not ready, but they're mm-hmm. at least ready to learn. Mm-hmm. And I just, often highlight just a lot of the logical points around mm-hmm. um reducing polypharmacy mm-hmm. that that often makes sense to a lot of docs hey mm-hmm. your patients on an ssri an opiate mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. a benzo like a lorazepam mm-hmm. don't you think it might be better to just use one medication mm-hmm. and what's the response usually uh, still not great. No. <laughs> How? How? Yeah. You say that to me, that sounds, that sounds great if I want what's best for my patient. Yeah. But some, some people just, if it's not their own idea, hmm. um, they're still reluctant to change. Wow. Yeah. So, so now you've got to, now you've got to incorporate psychological techniques of making them think it's their own idea. Right. Ab- absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Or, or how can this help you? Hey, you know, that patient that, hmm. uh, maybe is, is hard to mm-hmm. deal with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this, this sounds a little bad, but this, this will help because you're going to help them. Number one, which mm-hmm. means less visits. So this mm-hmm. could help you. So you sometimes mm-hmm. relate it to helping them, right. uh, which is another tactic, but right. ultimately my, 
like success with educating physician comes down to to logical um, conversations, being patient, mm-hmm. not judging, and and really just answering the questions and posing questions yeah. back to them. What kind of um, questions do they usually ask you? Well, oftentimes you'll you'll get uh, the most common reason for maybe not prescribing. Mm-hmm. There just isn't enough evidence or there's sure. a lack of evidence. Sure. There's lots. There is there's a plenty. lot of evidence. There's plenty. It just depends right. on your on your view hmm. and how much you've you've read. Right. If you go to oh the let's say the CFP guidelines mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. 2018, that's a review of you know a handful of meta-analyses, mm-hmm. you know, of just the random randomized controlled trials. Mm-hmm. Right? So all right, we looked at just these studies, but with mm-hmm. cannabis, there is tons of observational studies. There's tons mm-hmm. of retrospective studies. There's mm-hmm. tons of case reports. Mm-hmm. There's tons of anecdotal evidence. There's a whole mm-hmm. body. There's over mm-hmm. uh, 10,000 studies. Growing every day too. Growing every day. So mm-hmm. the, the reality is there isn't a lack of evidence. There's a mm-hmm. lack of understanding of the evidence. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, so if you're in kind of the the closed narrow view of it can only be a randomized control trial. That's the only way something can be real. <laughs> You're going to have a hard time with this, but yeah. it's an important point. Absence, absence of evidence is not evidence mm-hmm. of absence. Mm-hmm. So I, I tell them that all the time. Like, what do you think is more logical that mm-hmm. all these people I'm seeing the thousands and thousands, it's just placebo and I'm mm-hmm. it's, it's not, it, it doesn't work for pain, but we're mm-hmm. weaning down fentanyl. We're, we're, it right. doesn't work for sleep, but we're getting them off their sleep meds. Um, so you have to kind of, I'm able to do it because I can speak to my experience mm-hmm. and reference the literature. Right. Um, and kind of, and in a not, again, in a real kind of mm-hmm. just logical um, conversation. So there's studies, A, and I think one of the big barriers is that the the endocannabinoid system i'm sure was not in your your textbooks in medicine right Right. yet it's Mm -hmm. the most abundant series of g-coupled protein receptors in the body and they have action on every system like think of one like yeah yeah and so if you presented that to them you know i on my desk i remember having a map of the endocannabinoid system and and showing that to people and they were just blown away because so why you know, if you presented the the endocannabinoid system and some you know mechanisms of how it works, yeah, do they do they Doesn't, think it's uh, it's just garbage? It's pseudoscience. It's, <laughs> basically, because it wasn't in med school, right? And uh, uh, so that's the huge barrier right there. Hmm. But that was you know I've given a, a ton of talks to mm-hmm. to physicians, and that is always the kind of the starting for. Mm. Cannabis 101 is to go through mm-hmm. the endocannabinoid system, but it doesn't, even though it's so interesting yeah. and illuminating and just once you understand it too, like mm. you're just in awe that I still am like <laughs> how, how it works crazy. Um, but to again, maybe a naive, uh, someone who's naive to it, mm. it's, it's still not enough to just the introduction to the system to change mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but like when you think about it, how vast it is, even hmm. even in the skin, like a lot hmm. of physicians don't um, understand it. Hmm. It's in our skin. That's why some of these topicals are nice, because 
you know, there's, it's, it's abundant in the skin. You have, you have nervous system in the skin. You mm-hmm. can have pain related to the mm-hmm. skin. And it just in, in that area alone, it, it's it just so makes underrated. Yeah. It just makes sense. And I've been trying to find topical studies and, and reading and getting, trying to get up to date and we don't have anything. And so here, here's, what's yeah. interesting is that, you know, I, I, I had some people say, you know, this is really beneficial, um, for my, my muscle pain or my neuropathic pain. And yet like, does it reap reach that deep into the tissue? Do we have cannabinoids receptors there? Like, does it reach the bloodstream? So it's, it's interesting. Good, good question. Luckily I just, um, I attended the, um, CCIC conference again. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, like six years in a row, still going strong. Um, and they always have great talks. And there was one on, uh, um, of course, more fun in person than you can meet with right. your colleagues, and, <laughs> right. you know, go out for dinner and that fun stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, there was a great lecture on, on the cutaneous cannabinoid system. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's in, it's in the, the dermis, mm-hmm. it's in epidermis. Mm-hmm. But the formulations and products at the moment uh, aren't, you need special kind of technology to then mm-hmm. get into the bloodstream. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it's sitting uh, in the skin, these topical formulations, which is mm-hmm. fine because there's um, mm-hmm. a lot of receptors there. Right. So I think pain in the skin, itch in the skin, mm-hmm. even wound healing, there was, mm-hmm. um, there's some studies that are very interesting. But as far yeah. as getting into the bloodstream, um, Again, just, just saw this today. Mm-hmm. Nothing, none of the uh, products seem to to get in there, which is mm-hmm. nice though, because mm-hmm. some people are worried about, you know, if they're if they have a safety sensitive job or something, mm-hmm. or where they Drug do test. have, yeah, athletes. right, yeah. So if you're taking taking it topically, it's it's highly mm-hmm. unlikely mm-hmm. you're going to see it show up uh, in the bloodstream. And so, if it doesn't reach the bloodstream, how are they finding benefits in the muscle? This is my big question. <laughs> that I don't know because yeah. that could be more placebo. So are you saying some some people are, are telling you they rub their topical on and it gets yeah. into the... Even look, myself, I, I pulled I pulled a ham... I pulled... Okay, I was, you know, because of COVID, I, I was a long time without exercise. And to preface, all I have is anecdotes. Yeah. But because I was off, I decided to do some squats. I hopped on the 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 exercise bike, and both of my quads were just shot. And you know what that's like. You Alex, can barely walk up and gotta, down the stairs. You got to stretch. You got to warm up, my man. <laughs> Look, it was for science. And then I, I used a topical on one leg and not on the other. And again, maybe placebo but yeah. huge reduction in in strain and stiffness yeah and then who knows maybe some of that was actually more mm, um, the massaging super, yeah and maybe more yeah. superficial than the actual mm, deep mm. deep muscle who yeah. knows who yeah. knows but i'm trying to figure it out because it's frustrating <laughs> it's a it's a it's a uh, great area though evolving mm. field and mm. i don't doubt you know based on kind of the knowledge of the cannabinoid mm. system within the skin mm-hmm we're going to see a lot more um, psoriasis patients benefit, mm-hmm. atopic mm-hmm. dermatitis, mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to using um, topical steroids. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that's the dream, right? Yeah. Um, and then in terms of future, you know, what the future of medical cannabis looks like, do you think a lot of people are going to be moving more towards these isolates? So I know we can, you know, we can now 
you know, formulate CBG and CBN from yeast and we can do that. Are medical patients going to move away from dried flour? Are we going to have, you know, specified ratios for special specialized diseases? Like, what do you, what do you picture that looking like? I would expect a move away from the dried flour just Mm -hmm. with more players getting involved. There's, you know, there's pharma companies looking at, um, selective blockades of the endocannabinoid yeah. system. So blocking CB1, but only activating CB2. Yeah. Um, and of course, in in my practice, I don't, I don't have anything against the dried flour, um, mm. but we just, I like using um, the oils and the capsules mm. and the soft gels mm. so we can use exact dosing. Mm. So, and right. that really is kind of how, how medicine works. Exactly. You know, so yeah, I, I, I think haven't, <laughs> I don't smoke my aspirin, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I, I do think you'll you'll see these kind of formulations mm. come out. But when it comes to isolating the minor cannabinoids, I the, first we need to figure out how we can produce them in, in high qualities because they're so little mm. in the actual plant; they're really hard mm. to extract mm. in enough kind of numbers, but. I don't doubt that they have uh, medical benefits. Hmm. It's just right now there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's just a lot of hearsay, even with the terpenes as well, hmm. of this helps with this, this helps with that. Sure, sure. But there's really no hard evidence. Hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I'm not doubting that there could be benefits. But how can you? Because each individual is going to act differently. Um, to different and and my big trouble about the the soft gels and and the oils is I I've had some patients they must have lacked the enzyme to convert it into 11OH because it just didn't work and it it's also dependent on how no. much you eat right I had yeah. a patient who I've told yeah. this story before who all they had to eat in a day usually was Pepsi like no really like no food like zero macros. I had a patient like that once <laughs> and, and the 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 oils didn't work until I told her to eat something fatty, something with protein, and then it was working. So that's my other trouble is that a lot of these, you know, these oils and capsules are dependent on what you eat, on what you're, so it's, it's frustrating. Like it's not perfect. Yeah. And that's where the, it's, it's the good and the bad of, of kind Mm of more, I would say pharmaceuticalizing of Mm. these compounds. Mm. So you're, you're going to get isolated Mm. compounds that you Mm -hmm. don't have to worry about what you ate. And, Mm -hmm. but the essence of, of the plant too, of having, you know, all the cannabinoids, all the terpenes, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's something to be said for that. Mm-hmm. We think now I'm reading more <laughs> the entourage effect, depending on what paper you read. Um, I've heard mixed things, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, I think it's irrefutable that having an isolate, just a CBD, um, with no terpenes, isn't going to work as well. Like again, anecdotally and it's on paper knowing the benefits of terpenes on their own it just makes sense yep and um there's a study to back that up and it was actually related to covid19 so they did this in Mm. israel and cole's notes they took uh, a proprietary terpene blend Mm. they took Mm. cbd they took cbd and the terpene blend together Mm -hmm. and a steroid dexamethasone hmm and what they tested against was kind of the cytokine storm assay, mm-hmm. which COVID-19, 
yes, right. in, infection, but it's it's the body's reaction that really gets people into tr- trouble. This autoimmune mm-hmm. reaction, mm-hmm. and um, what they showed was, interestingly, the terpene blend on its own had anti-inflammatory effects. So there's to your point, yeah, mm-hmm. they have benefits. Mm-hmm. The CBD did as well mm-hmm. because we know it has some anti-inflammatory properties. Right. But the terpene blend and the CBD together outperformed. And it even, this was very interesting to see, it even mm-hmm. outperformed the dexamethasone component. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Huh. Now, how, how many participants, I mean, if, if you remember, were there enough? That, so that, having said that, again, that was an right. assay, right? Pre, right. Preclinical work. Right, right, right. Um, not, in, not tested in humans. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. seeing that, mm. of course, then you would progress to, to yeah. humans. It's data nonetheless. And yeah. it, it's more and more, we're finding higher quality data, we're finding larger sample sizes. So it just makes sense that over time, we're, I think we're gonna hit the nail on the head with the, the whole entourage argument, because I'm tired of hearing <laughs> the back and forth. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> Um, well, th- this this has been fantastic, Blake. Um, I I can't thank you enough for having you know for coming on the show and you know talking about your experience. Um, where can everyone hear more from you? So we are on basically all kind of the the social channels. So um, at at Dr. Blake Pearson on mm-hmm. Instagram and Facebook, Twitter, and um, then the website for the clinic is drblakepearson.org. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where you can find what we're up to. And if you are uh, keen to have a lighter <laughs> touch, we're, we're really on the cover cannabis. We're really um, doing a lot of work on TikTok. So feel free to check out uh, that as well if you want <laughs> a good laugh. That. And also, though, we're putting up a lot of educational uh, material mm. on there, too. Well, there you have it, folks. If you want to hear more from Blake, like he said, make sure to give him a shout. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Dr. Blake Pearson or his website, drblakepearson.org. And as always, if you want to hear more from me, it's Coffee Cannabis Podcast on Instagram. CoffeeCannabis.ca is the website. Give me a shout. What do you want to hear more from? What do you like? What do you not like? Give me a shout. I'm always open. And as always, I'm going to see you in two weeks for the next episode.